Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFC News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hello, I'm Polly. I am junior journalist for the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Manisha. I'm marketing coordinator for the Fintech Times. And this week, we are going to be talking about Asia and Africa. Manisha, you uh, looked at an article about Asia and Asian expansion this week, didn't you? Yeah, that's correct. So the article that I looked at is is how fintechs are expanding across Southeast Asia in the upcoming year. Um, So I think fintechs are becoming more prominent in the Asian market. And it is said that the Asian region is a particular hub for the two highest grossing business models, which are digital payments and digital lending services. Um, Also, not only are European fintechs looking to expand into Asia, but also local fintechs in the Asian market are attempting to dominate their own market. Some examples of how of companies that are moving to the Asian market are payments companies such as Stripe. Um, another example is digital bank Revolut is tapping into the Asian market after they're planning on doing more in the region after launching in Singapore. Um, another example is Utrip, which is a multi-currency mobile wallet based in Singapore. And they've recently announced a partnership with Visa to accelerate their expansion in Southeast Asia. So the question that we should ask is why are fintechs attracted to Southeast Asia? I think in the current the current pandemic has led to an increased access or need for digital banking services and you know nearly 70% are either underbanked or unbanked. As Asia has adopted more digital services such as you know digital banking, mobile payments, e-commerce which has been caused by the pandemic and for all of us to stay home. And it has meant that around 40 million people have come online for the first time in 2020 in six countries across across Asia, which is a good sign. The number of Internet users in Southeast Asia has also increased. So nearly 70 percent of the population now have access to Internet. And this not only encourages new consumers, but the pandemic has also presented new opportunities for fintechs to take advantages of digital solutions and become more innovative. So I think in this generation, everything can be powered through a single digital tool, you know, such as just from one app, you can order taxis, you can order food, you can do online shopping, and even money lending, which therefore highlights the importance of digitalization. So another example demonstrating Asia's potential is how Google has a new initiative to kick off Asia Pacific Innovation Challenge, and funding will be directed to projects which use innovative technologies to create and improve the quality of journalism in the area. Again, this also gives exposure to Asia and welcomes innovation and new solutions in the region. So to summarise this article that I found, I think Asia will be a key hub for innovation and development in the future. We need to focus on one aspect, which is connectivity. You know, connectivity is one of the most important factors as the fintech industry is moving more towards digital expansion especially in less economically developed countries such as Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines. And these rural areas have a huge internet connectivity gap. Over time, we can address the problem of connectivity. And Asia represents a great opportunity for fintech companies to come into the region and take advantage of their tech-savvy population and government, which welcomes new innovation. Polly, what's your view on this article? Yeah, I thought um, it was really interesting. I actually wrote that article, so I was... uh 
very intrigued to look into um, Asia and sort of the benefits of fintech in Asia. I think what you said about internet connectivity is so interesting, um, actually, because one of the things I found was that because Asia does have quite a very large unbanked population, that is why um, there's a lot of potential for fintech in the region to sort of help with the unbanked population. So I think it's really interesting that you said connectivity is going to be one of the sort of major barriers um, in sort of fintech um, expansion and advancement. So I'd be really intrigued to see what happens sort of in the region that, like you say, is so prime for innovation and is so sort of ready to go, especially as well, because Asia contains China and India, which are the most populous countries in the world by a very wide margin. So they've got this ever-growing base of consumers ready to adopt new tech. So I think it's going to be a really interesting um, place for fintech over the next sort of few years. I just wanted to go back very briefly. You mentioned digital payments and the digital payments um, is a particularly big scene in the Asia Pacific region. Um, It's a huge hub for that sector, helped, you know, in part by the pandemic, obviously, because everyone's paying with contactless, everyone's using more digital methods rather than cash based methods. Um, so and as well, regulators have also looked to standardize digital payments infrastructure and create new regulation to help foster this new growth and to help foster new innovation. So obviously, it's a really great place to be if you are a digital payments company, which I think you mentioned Stripe at the beginning, which is why they've moved there. The region is also the largest contributor to global payments revenue. So in 2019, it generated over $900 billion, which is nearly half of the global total. And payments also represent 44% of aggregate banking revenues in Asia. The payment sector in Asia also is positioned to exceed $1 trillion dollars in annual revenue by 2020 or 2023 so obviously it's a really prime place for digital payments fintechs to be and just you know bouncing off what you said Manisha it's going to see so much innovation in the next few years so it's just a really interesting market to keep an eye on I think. Um, So Polly what article did you look at this week? Uh, So I looked at an article about South Africa and the range of opportunities that it offers to the fintech and also the wider tech industry. Uh, So one of our reporters interviewed the CEO of Yoko, which is an African financial platform that builds tools and services specifically for small businesses uh, to help them run their businesses better and to help them grow sort of uh, more naturally. And I picked this interview to talk about because to me, it revealed some really interesting insights about the African ecosystem that I didn't necessarily know Um, and some of which I will share with you now. Um, Firstly, one of the things that was in the article was that consumers are generally underserved across the African continent. So underserved, obviously, we're talking about underserved in financial means. Perhaps they don't have a bank account, that kind of thing. Um, Obviously, this isn't necessarily a surprise as financial inclusion has always been an issue um, in the more developing countries. Um, And even some countries in Africa, bank penetration rates are below 10%, which is a very small number of people with bank accounts. However, what was interesting about this was that the rise in mobile money has apparently helped to close this gap in financial inclusion. A lot of people have mobile phones in Africa, and then there are more and more financial apps and fintechs popping up that people can use on their phone, which is helping with the financial inclusion, help people get more served in finance. However, it should be noted that a lot of these services are running on out-of-date technology, which does hold things back a little bit when it comes to innovation. But I just thought that was really interesting that, you know, mobile phones are really helping at the moment in financial inclusion. South Africa, on the other hand, is quite a whole different story when you look purely at that just one country. So they have actually a very high banking penetration for an emerging market. So it's over 80% 
um, of people have a bank account and another 75% of adult consumers have some sort of payment card. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting considering, you know, for the rest of Africa to hold some other places, like we said, the 10%, the, for South Africa to have such a high banking penetration. However, the really interesting thing is that despite this huge number of people with bank accounts, the majority of transactions actually take place in cash. So 60% of the country's GDP is actually made up of cash, uh, pre-COVID at least. So despite such this huge penetration of banked individuals, consumers are actually still technically underserved in finance terms because banking is very expensive in South Africa. So not that many people actually use it. I think it was reported that people generally make on average about three transactions a month using their cards or their bank accounts. And most of the time that's to use ATMs to get cash out. COVID-19 has changed this very slightly, of course, as it has all over the globe, with more and more people moving online and using more digital payment methods, moving away from cash. Um, a MasterCard survey found that 68% of South African consumers are shopping more online, and then there are more and more fintechs looking to enter the market to tackle um, the problems of you know, a cash economy. So obviously things are changing. Um, this is happening all over the globe, like I said, and it's, you know, the hot topic at the moment, how everyone's going digital. We're seeing a huge uptake of digital and online payment methods moving away from cash. And this migration to digital is likely to carry on even after COVID-19, particularly in Africa. Um, it's thought that it's going to catalyze a new ecosystem of products and services as digitalization is even more adopted. For the underserved, financial services are going to spring up to tackle the problem of giving people access to bank accounts. So some options for this are mobile money, like we mentioned before, with um, using mobile phones to help financial inclusion, as well as digital banking. Uh, we're also going to see a lot more innovation in niches of financial service, such as investing and savings. So South Africa, and even to an extent, the rest of Africa, is really going to be a place to watch um, for fintech. Like we were saying about Asia before, it's definitely going to see a lot of innovation in the next few years to help the people that need it most. So Manisha, did you have any thoughts on this? So like you said, Polly, when it comes to South Africa, you know, despite the penetration of banking in purely South Africa, most transactions take place in cash. And, you know, before COVID, cash made up nearly 60% of GDP in their country. So I think now the main goal for fintech firms should be to close that gap between using cash and electronic payments. Banking was originally expensive in South Africa. However, over time, new challenger banks and mobile digital wallets have entered the market to help the underbanked, you know, with an enhanced and new digital solutions at a much cheaper rate. I think since the pandemic, a recent study by Mastercard revealed that 68% of South African consumers are shopping more online. With these examples, you can see that, you know, in 2021 and beyond, we'll see much of Africans' bank play a bigger part in their own transformation in the digital world. And I think in South Africa, there'll be a huge progress when it comes to support and fintech innovation in this region. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.